just gonna, there's gonna be a reflection, I'm afraid, if I'm not careful. <laughs> good morning, Monument Church. How are you all this morning? Good. Yeah, good? Come on. I mean, it's, it's Resurrection Sunday. Like, why do we celebrate that? Why do we celebrate Resurrection Sunday? Easter, why do we do that? Like, why do we celebrate? I mean, you're like, I don't know, we've just always done it. Well, no, we know why. But to, like, we really know why? Do we really, like, immerse ourselves in, in why? Like, this is the opportunity to do that. We've pushed everything aside, and we're celebrating. I mean, look, I wore a blazer. You know what I'm saying? I mean, but Joe Wethji, he wore a whole suit. You, you upstaged me, brother. I got other suits. Brothers, I appreciate that. We celebrate not just because we've got colored eggs and bunnies. That's not actually what this is about. Those things are fine. But actually, we celebrate because of a very profound truth. You know, statistically, most people believe in God. You know, that, like most people in America believe in God. I don't know if it's 90, 90% or 80%, something like that. Most people believe in God. But I find in, in my own experience, even among Christians, we don't exactly know what he's all about. Like, is he, is he angry? Is he here? What's he doing? How does he think? This week I was actually just praying about this. I was meditating. Um, I was brushing my teeth. And I, got, I had an epiphany. You ever have an epiphany while you're brushing your teeth? I don't know why, but you know, you're just sitting there, you got nothing else to do, and all of a sudden, and an epiphany it means like something revealed, manifest. It was just this little thing, and, and God just helped me to understand why we celebrate. And, and it goes like this. I'm going to tell you a little story because actually we're in, in a story right now. There's a story being told, a story being written that, that we're participating in. And actually God helped me understand this story a little bit. Now this is going to be like normally if this is the front end of like a movie or something on TV, it would say it's a bit graphic in nature. So it's not very Eastery, but bear with me. So God sort of gave me this picture. He gave me a picture of my son and I. I have my son Emmett. Emmett was wearing a blazer too. Come on, man. That's so good. My son and I go golfing. We leave the house. We go golfing. We leave my, my wife and my daughters at home. And we go golfing. And while we're away, this, I want you to stay with me on this because you're going to go, what are we talking about here? While we're away, a group of people comes and they and they kill my, my wife and daughter. This is the story. And they burn my house to the ground after taking all of my things. And my son and I return home to find the devastation. We find the police there and they've caught the criminals. And it's clear that they're guilty and they're convicted and tried and sentenced to death. But actually, I say, I understand somebody has to pay for this crime. But I, I look out on all these people. Pretend, let's just say pretend it's you. And I look out on all these beautiful faces and I go, but I just, I just love them so much. They can't, we can't possibly do that to them. And I say, actually, instead, why don't you take my son? Let him die instead of all of these people who have been sentenced to death. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? 
That is the scandalous, generous love of God toward us. I only have one son. He's my only son. Emmett, I would never do that to you. I don't have to because God did that for us. Now that is such a visceral, stark picture. And it doesn't take much to figure out that God is the homeowner and Jesus is the son. And we, we are the criminals. You might say, I'd never do something like that. I sure hope you would not. But you see, from the very beginning, humanity broke God's only rule and rebelled against him. And you may never have done anything quite that horrific, but you are a part of humanity that has turned its back on God and you only but just look around a bit to see the devastation of what we've done. You see people and the way they treat one another and killing one another and hatred. You see these things. Now, I know this isn't the glowy Eastery message, but that was the hard part. So if you got through that, just bear with me. But what we actually celebrate is this. In Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 26, it says, since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners and prove that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. That is why we celebrate. I know that's the sober reason that we celebrate, but we cannot escape it if we are to truly celebrate it. That's what God helped me do. You may have heard similar kinds of stories as illustrations, but actually I felt like God put it in my own life as I was sitting there brushing my teeth. He said, imagine if that happened to you and out of an overwhelming love for those people who sinned against you, you were willing to sacrifice your own son. Oh, Lord, you're not angry. You're not distant. You saw what we couldn't and didn't see. And you came with the rescue plan. That's who God is. He is such overwhelming love. He is willing to sacrifice that which is most important to him. That's what we celebrate. That's a part of what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday. I want to read what Naomi read one more time. It says, God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. We celebrate our own resurrection today. We think it's just Jesus, but actually that would not be the most important thing if not for the fact that we all participate in this resurrection. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. That's who he is. And part of it is maybe we knew who he was once. We were moved by that. We, we, we got it. And then we forgot it. 
We forget because life is difficult and you think, is he there? Is he watching? Is he present? Oh, he is. He is. So much so that he did this incredible thing. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. That is one of the things we celebrate today. Tim Keller says it this way, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That's what we celebrate. That's what we relish on this Resurrection Sunday. But, but we, don't, we don't just celebrate because of that, actually. Our, our Easter theme this year is He's coming back. <laughs> That's another thing that we, we celebrate. We actually celebrate. We're all in a story, right? I mean, you believe that, whether it's your own personal story as it's unfolding, or, or us as a church, or us as the country, or us as, as all the earth. We're, we're in a story. And so that's the other thing that we celebrate on Easter, is the end of the story. See, the end of the story isn't possible without today, without the resurrection. So I thought about it like this. So when I was, uh, when my daughter Maya, who's not in here, which is good, she'd probably be embarrassed, we took her to see the movie Up. Do you remember the movie Up? when she was five years old. And we thought, oh, this will be really sweet. It's a cute movie, it's got balloons and a house and a doggy. Like, this is perfect. So we take her, I mean, she was just, you know. So we get into the movie, we're watching them, it's a beautiful, I mean, I, I absolutely love it. I'm a filmmaker, so I love this movie. Um, it, it, it won awards, it was just an incredible movie. We're watching this movie, and then we get to like, the part that every movie has, right? Where it looks like the hero's gonna die. And what happens is there's this angry pack of dogs. It's this guy with his nice dog and this angry pack of dogs. And this angry pack of dogs is pursuing them. So these mean dogs, and we're watching the movie and, and we're enjoying it, and we look over and Maya is horrified. She's absolutely horrified. And, and we go, are you okay? And she just bursts out crying. And she goes, I want to get out of here. Take me out. Now, my wife and I are sitting there going, oh, this is so heartbreaking. She's so sad. But like we know, spoiler alert, it's a happy ending. We know it's a happy ending. So we're sitting there in this sort of moral dilemma with our five-year-old saying, do we like take her out and basically maybe scar her forever? because all she knew is this terrible thing happened and it never resolved? Or do we force her to stay in the, in the theater? This poor little fragile five-year-old, because we know that, that the end is good. We, we know that it's a happy ending. So we decide, to, <laughs> we decide to keep her in the theater. And she's just going, no, no, no. She's crying and we're, we're just holding on to her. And then lo and behold, the angry pack of dogs falls off a cliff or something. I can't remember what happened. And the hero and his little doggy and their little house with all the balloons are saved. And Maya goes skipping out of the theater, happy as ever, 
because of this happy ending. And what it made me realize is that we actually will just suffer the movie if we don't know the ending and fix our eyes on the ending. Celeste and I could enjoy the movie because we didn't never seen it before, but I knew it had a happy ending. It was Hollywood, for heaven's sakes. If we don't fix our eyes on the ending, we will absolutely struggle to enjoy the beginning, middle, and end. Revelation chapter 21, it is the last chapter of the Bible, and it tells us the ending. Wouldn't it be cruel if, if actually this chapter was withheld, or if we didn't know the ending? But no, God by His kindness and in His grace has, has made this available for us so that we can fix our eyes on the ending. So that when we're sitting there tortured by the beginning, middle, and end or the climactic, tragic point that you may be living in right now, we can fix our eyes on the ending. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Imagine that. And there will be no more death, or sorrow, or crying, or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Can you imagine of all the old and broken stuff lying around this earth was all just made completely new again? Restored to its original intent and glory? He said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will freely give from the springs of the water of life. That's how it ends. And we will just be tortured in our seats if we don't continue to remind ourselves of how it ends. Today we celebrate how it ends. Because this would not be possible. Listen, today we celebrate how it ends. This is how it ends. So despite what we've done and the guilt upon us, because of the resurrection we were saved and this is how it ends for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate today. Oh, it is, it, you could barely do it justice. You can't do it justice. You can only just sit and, and relish this. So we, we celebrate because he's coming back. And that was made possible by the resurrection. The final reason that we celebrate, and this might be the most important for us today, right now, is that we celebrate because he's with us now. 
You know, I've been a pastor for a long time. I've talked to people who don't know Jesus, who aren't Christians. If that's you here today, you're so welcome. I am so glad that you came. I love having conversations around the difficult questions of faith and spirituality, religion and God. Far and away, the most common question I get is why does a good God allow suffering? Right? Have you had that question? Do you have that question? It's a great question. I don't know the answer to that question. But I can give you a partial answer to that question. Part of it is because he knows it's temporary. How could he allow his own only, his only son to be crucified on the cross like this? Number one, because he loved us. Number two, because he knew the end. He knew where this was all going. And so that when we struggle and we suffer in pain, if our eyes are fixed on the end, we know that this is all temporary. That doesn't do much to satisfy in the really difficult times though, does it? Does it? You can try to do your best that it's someday it's gonna be over and he'll come back or, but actually it's just very, very hard at times. And so you know what else we celebrate? That he's with us now. I remember when I had first come to faith, I, I was sitting in um, a, a sermon that a man was preaching. I was listening and I was just soaking it up because I had come to realize that all this was true. I had been taught it all my life, but I was like, ah, I don't know, maybe it's true. But I'd come to realize it's, it's completely true. So I was just soaking it up. I want to know more about God. I want to dig into the Bible. And this man began to say something that was completely revolutionary for me. So when I was conceived, my parents were not married. They were 19 and 20 years old. They actually came from very religious backgrounds, so they could not tell their parents. They were in a serious pickle. So my mother, very sweet lady, she decided to get on a plane and go to a state where she could have an abortion. With me in womb, is that a, is that a, do you use that term? I don't know, but I'm in there. And she decides to have an abortion and she's just wrecked over it, obviously. You can imagine. And she goes to where my father is. They're not married at this time. And she goes to the abortion clinic and she's sitting in the abortion clinic and my father meets her and says, you can't do this. You can't, you can't, you can't take the life of this baby that's in you. That's our child. And she convinces him, he convinces her not to do it. Amazingly, miraculously, they get married and five months later, I am born. Isn't that amazing? Like, I, yeah, I, thank you, Pete. I wasn't looking for applause there, but actually like, I feel pretty strongly about not aborting babies, and now you can see why. It's very important to me because I would not be here. Well, I'm listening to this sermon, and the guy says, do you know that when Jesus was conceived, he was rejected? I was like, what, what, do you, what does that mean? Well, his, his dad, or it seems, the person who would be his dad, the one who was going to marry his mother, was actually, because she was pregnant, was gonna, as the Bible says, put her away quietly. He didn't want the baby. 
How sad is that? And then I realized, well, actually, he says, here's the thing. Jesus came so that he could experience every difficult thing that we experience. He was even rejected at birth. And he says, if you were rejected at birth, maybe somebody considered aborting you or didn't want you or your father left or whatever it might be. Jesus experienced that too. And I don't know what happened to me, but I just burst into tears. It was very perplexing. I found this out when I was like 10 years old, right? And I didn't know what to think about it, but it was kind of perplexing to me. It was in that moment I realized that it had cut me deeply, knowing that my mother didn't want me. Now, to this day, my mom's like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, Mom, I'm over it. Like, look, I'm here. You did a great job. It's just the reality of brokenness. My own mother was one of those criminals in the first story. She, she, she just couldn't escape it. You'd meet her and you'd be like, no, but she's so sweet. No, 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 she, she actually is a sinner in need of salvation. And it's why she relishes what God did so much as well. So I then realized, wait a second. <laughs> Not only did he save me, from what I had done, but he's, he's here now and he relates to everything we experience. See, many of you are bearing the burden of what you've experienced. And I want you to know that what we celebrate today is that Jesus knows and has experienced your suffering. Nothing changed when I learned that Jesus was also rejected physically, but actually knowing I was not alone comforted me beyond what I can even tell you. Like knowing that he knew what I had experienced, that he came so that I could be free of rejection of any kind was just overwhelming to me. And here's the thing. So many of you sitting here this morning are experiencing things that are very difficult. Have you been rejected? Jesus understands that. Have people plotted against you behind your back? <laughs> Jesus understands and has experienced that too. Have people gossiped about you or stabbed you in the back? Have you been homeless or unsure of where your next dollar is coming from? He experienced that. It is unbelievable. You could not list the things that he experienced in his short lifespan so that he could say, I know. I know what you're going through and I want to help. Have you been abandoned by your closest friends? Has someone close to you been killed or committed suicide? I have experienced that. It's devastating. So has Jesus. Have you been misunderstood, had no place to live, run out of money, lost your job, had a career shift? Have attempts been made on your life? Have you been physically or sexually abused? So has Jesus. I'm so sorry for these things that have happened to you, and so is he. But he came here to experience it with you as a part of what he's done. That's the title of the song that Rachel danced to, what he's done. This is what we celebrate. As we close today, we would like to pray for you whatever ails you because here's the thing this doesn't just happen magically 
Jesus doesn't just wave a magic wand. He actually wants us to draw near. He, 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 he wants us to come close. That's, I think, another reason why he allows some of this suffering, because it's the only thing that gets our attention. And actually says, I can't do it anymore. I need help. I, I am at the end of my rope. Maybe you're not at the end of your rope, but you've been dealing with something that is, is chronic or... You know, six out of ten people, adults in America, suffer from chronic disease. Isn't that crazy? Six out of ten. Four out of ten suffer from two or more chronic diseases. And so, not only do we celebrate that he came to bring us salvation, he came to rescue us, that he's coming back, but that he's here now. Can we celebrate that by going, you know what, I could use prayer for whatever it is that you are going through right now. That might be a physical illness. But don't you think God would... <laughs> Here's the amazing thing about God. So he comes, he offers his only son, and you would think he'd be like, now I'm done with you. Like I have given you, I've given you eternal life, I've sacrificed my son, I'm done with you. He goes, now what more can I do for you? If you wonder what kind of person God is. It is that he is exceedingly generous and he just continues to give way beyond what we could ever possibly imagine and certainly deserve. But we must engage him. What troubles you right now? What are you struggling with right now? We want to pray for you. Actually, I want to invite Beth Kratz to come up. Trav, can I have that mic? I won't even intro, I'll just let you go. Yeah, hi, I'm Beth. I don't know if many of you know, but back in the beginning of November, I fell down the stairs and I broke my tailbone and I damaged the disc between L4 and 5, which hit a bunch of nerves, which was excruciating. Um, couldn't walk, major pain. and. Had you know seen the doctor, had shots on my back, you know a whole series of things to try to alleviate the pain, and it did get a little bit better, but I was just constant. And back in May or March, we had on our, our Wednesday night prayer meeting, we had a gentleman that was here from Nepal, and he was sharing with us that 80% of the people who become believers in Nepal do so because God moves miraculously there in ways of healing. And I mean, he talked about a woman who had had terminal cancer. There was nothing that they could do for her, and they prayed for healing, and she was healed. And so I thought, huh, <laughs> I want to be healed. I want to be prayed for. Yeah. I want this pain in my back to go away. And so he prayed for me, and instantly I noticed a little bit of a difference. And I will tell you, I would go a few days and there was no pain, and then maybe I would go five days and there was no pain. And I'm at the point now where it's it's a rare thing. It's maybe once a week I notice some pain, but God has healed me as in the process of completing that healing. Amen. And so I'm just here to testify our God heals Amen. and longs for us to come to him and be healed. Yeah, that's good. The man who prayed for her is a friend of mine. His name is Purr, and he would tell you he's no special prayer. He's just somebody who believes and trusts God that he'll heal. Can I ask us all to stand?